Warning, Mr. Cole and Mr. Rasner are not historians, journalists, or socialists. In the course of this episode, they will use profanity, consume alcohol, make inaccurate claims, and discuss violent and disturbing acts. Fact-checking and listener discretion is advised. All right, everyone, welcome to 84 Ounces to Freedom. I'm your host, Mr. Cole, and I'm here with... I'm the Sultan of Zanzibar, and this is Truck Talk. We only, truck, we only talk trucks here. Yeah, and you know, um, this podcast is so underground, the underground doesn't even know. Um, it's been a minute since we did an episode. Um, you know, also, we're, we're not in the back of a truck, which is weird. Yeah, we are actually... So paint the picture. Where are we now? So we're in a room in the second story of our store we opened, uh, where I, I have a l nice little knife shop downstairs. Mr. Cole's precious metal, and I make coin rings. Um, my wife has a gift shop. My daughter's esthetician here. We have hair. We have nails. There's everything. But the whole upper floor is unused and definitely haunted. This is an old, uh, what, Oddfellows building. Mm -hmm. So there's a full stage and huge room behind us. There's a huge kitchen behind us. All this is on the second floor. None of it's used. Complete with... I mean, I'm just trying to paint the scene. The, the, the large room with the, the stage and the, the kitchen and everything that's out there, complete with cobwebs all over the windows. Yeah. I mean, definitely. it's something, it's straight out of the news. We're guaranteed we're, we're haunted up in here. And uh, I think that's good. Maybe we'll catch some stuff on, on the podcast. That would be amazing. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> you know, we were really solid on our, you know, bi-weekly episodes and uh you know COVID hit and everything's been kind of wild you know dave's a registered nurse so he has some kind of input on that but hey we got a vaccine now and things be, seem to be moving in the right direction california's loosening back up although i heard today they're tightening it back down did you hear that no it's schizophrenic they don't know changes every day changes yeah. every day i did want to <clears throat> talk about some podcasts I've been listening to. It's actually three podcasts, and um, they're all with the same two people. Um, the first one is a podcast called True Crime Horror Story. Uh, I binge listened to it until I caught up with it, uh, hosted by JD Horror, who is very direct and hardcore in his delivery. I've been, uh, what's, what's cool about True Crime Horror Story, it's like, uh, anthology horror like if you ever watch like you know creep show the movie where it's short little horror stories his podcast it's kind of like that it's his episodes are on a certain topic and it's like three or four little stories and some of them are, are full-length episodes um very good horror or true crime podcasts uh, the production is great on it uh you guys gotta check it out um You know, and, and all, he always says sometimes truth is more brutal than fiction. So I've been reading this book that Mr. Cole got me for Christmas called Starvation Heights. Oh, dude, I already have her name written down. Check this out. So I am ashamed to say that I'm only about 100 pages in because Mr. Cole would sit down and read this book in a sitting. Yeah, so he's got Dr. Linda Hazard's name written out for notes, and I'm excited to talk about it. So... It, it's crazy. So it, the, 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 the story isn't at all what I expected because so it, it opens with an intro where they're talking about a group of scouts that are camped out at the site of what used to be a sanitarium where people were starved to death. And that sounds, you know, very sinister in a certain way, but the, the actual story as it's unfolding is completely different. The, um, this lady just was such a um, compelling communicator and sort of confidence artist that 
she convinced people essentially to do this to themselves in the spirit of their own health. This is in California, isn't it? Uh, no, more like the Seattle area, like across the Puget oh. Sound from Seattle. Okay, okay. Um, like, if you were to, gosh, man, I'm going to sound so ignorant to anyone who's from there. If you were to take the ferry that goes east-west from Seattle west across the Puget Sound, I think that would get you closer rather than further away. Yeah. <laughs> But I, if I had any brains, I'd have looked it up. And maybe when you start telling a story, I will. But at any rate, the, the clients that, that I'm talking about are these two sisters that are extraordinarily wealthy. And she convinces them that this fast will fix all of their ailments. And I don't know, maybe it's the jaded emergency department nurse in me. But I sort of had myself convinced that there was never anything wrong with them in the first place. Yeah. But they sort of had convinced themselves that there was, and hard to know. Um, they're no longer with us, so it's hard to unpack that. But this is set in, uh, in and around 1911, the spring of 1911. And you know, um, it's hard to believe it's one of the weirdest medical serial killers, if you want to classify her as that. But maybe you can't because people paid her for them to basically die. And you know, her books and teachings are still available. And it, it also does seem to be true that many people got well and, and believed in her even after she starved them for an extended fast and then built their strength back up and they claimed to be cured of whatever was ailing them. What's that famous, I'm not sure if it's Plato that said it, but they're, one of those guys, it's, it's like, um, let thy food be thy medicine and let thy medicine be thy food. Sure. Hers is like, starve. <laughs> Here's so, your medicine, starve. So it's crazy. So it's crazy. I, I, I could talk about this a lot because, so, so first of all, like a little more context. So she was uh, a doctor of osteopathy. She did seem to go to... Uh, a medical school that was for doctors of osteopathy and graduated and she did seem to help a lot of people and people did die under her care but a lot of people still believe that she was wonderful and I haven't gotten too far along yet but I don't believe that she went to prison as a result of killing the people at least that I'm reading about her killing right now yeah I haven't uh, put together a full episode on her I was planning on doing it probably for the next episode when you're completely done yeah so I could have like the skeleton yeah. story, you know, and but you'll have like the full insight because you've read it. So and and I and I love to talk about this because I, well, we'll get there in a second. But it 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 seems to me my initial impression is that it definitely might be true that she had a legitimate practice that involved really extreme dieting, and we will talk about some of the details of that in a few seconds. But, um, and. And she probably occasionally accidentally lost a patient from this extreme dieting every now and again. Maybe because of refeeding syndrome, or maybe just because of the hazards of a 40-day fast. But she needed Ray Cronice. It seems to me to be true that somewhere along the line, she figures out how extraordinarily wealthy these girls are and how vulnerable they are and that no one even knows where they are because they were embarrassed to tell their friends and family what they were doing when they went to the care of this osteopathy. And so it seems to me that maybe she figures out that she can starve them to death and take their resources, at least some of their resources. Yeah, they are like in possession of on paper, hard copy land deeds and things like that which very early on she convinces them to let her store in her own safe. Oh, wow. That's like that British doctor that killed like and so that's, people or whatever would always get their stuff in his name and then they mysteriously died. Or, or more like an H.H. H. Holmes kind of thing <coughs> oh, where yeah. it's murder for profit from a medical professional. So that's the vibe I get. And, and you can think, I mean, talking about someone walking around with land deeds for estates in... Canada that are on paper in their possession, that's 
like you take that from someone, it's yours. Yeah. It's like Bitcoin. Yeah. You steal someone's Bitcoin, there's no getting it. That, that's what like a paper land deed would be. So it's extraordinary. So then I'm reading with the details of her instructions on these fasts and the thing, so, so you and I are both um, ketosis fasters, right? Right. So I'm in ketosis as we speak. By the way, we're drinking bourbon. We wish we had beer, but we don't. We're oh, we didn't bourbon. even cover that. Yeah, I've got some uh, Hatfield and McCoy. It's a family branded whiskey, you know. And, you know, this is very fitting because we're going to talk about a, an actual family feud here in one of our local counties today on this episode. Nice. And then Dave busted out the Gobbler Wild Turkey 101. Wild Turkey 101. And then I have a flask with something left over from last week. And I, I can't even, I don't even know what it is. Mystery, Mystery flask. Mystery dude. flask. Oh my God. It's delightful. So, um, but so you and I understand fasts and ketosis as sort of putting yourself in a deliberate state of starvation. And there are lots of health benefits that are emerging from this. From weight loss and control of diabetes to uh, extended longevity and prevention of breast cancer. So at any rate, like it's, and, and, and I, I, I could qualify that, but there's a book um, by Dr. Ben Bickman called Why We Get Sick and he explains it in detail, which I don't have time for. But what you notice right away is that the fasts that this, this uh, osteopath is encouraging these women to do involve like one of the things they're allowed to have every day is a glass of orange juice hmm. so she keeps them out of ketosis yeah because it's the sugar well yeah. blow you out of the water so that means you're going to get like more muscle wasting and your brain so, so your brain loves to burn ketones in fact your brain can burn ketones just as well as it can burn carbs. Some people think better. Yeah. When I'm in ketosis, I can type faster. I don't know why that is, but I notice it. It's it's a thing. <clears throat> but if I was calorie restricted, but drinking a glass of orange juice every day, I don't have ketones for my brain to burn. No. My brain is relying on burning glucose. Yeah. And if I'm not taking in any more glucose than would be in a glass of orange juice, then I'm making glucose from gluconeogenesis um, from wasting away my protein, my, my skeletal muscle, and my proteins, my blood, like my albumin. So it's a really sinister, I don't know whether she was smart enough to know what she was doing or whether she accidentally stumbled upon this formula of starvation without ketosis, but I'm really like blown away by how effective that would be because these women don't just waste away physically, they go crazy and get confused. Oh wow. Because they don't their brain does not is deprived of ketones and carbohydrates. What a terrible death. Yeah, it is. So anyway, we'll unpack more of that, but the initial impression I get is definitely maybe she had accidentally killed people in the past. And when she realized she could steal from these women, she might have done it on purpose. Wow. And, I, and she also might have gotten away with it. I'm not sure if she got away with it. I haven't read the Cliff's Notes of like Wikipedia yet or anything like that. So yeah. I only know what is in the book and I'm only a third of the way through. So I will say this. If there is, um, I've heard one podcast that does cover, what's her name? Linda Hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Swindled. Mm -hmm. and it's a great, it's a really different kind of true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about people who swindle people, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, it's a very good episode. So if you got a chance to check it out, yeah, I'm plugging a second podcast that's Swindled. I'm going to plug a third one right here now because <clears throat> I did, you know, after listening to True Crime Horror Story with J.D. Horror, I started hurrying ad advertisements for another podcast, which is called uh, Postmortem, which is co-hosted with his friend Dom, kind of like how we do our podcast. Sure. And on this podcast, they give uh, horror news, basically around horror movie genre. Uh, every week they watch a good and a bad movie, so they review two movies each every week. It was time for they 
<laughs> it's brutal for them, and they put out an episode every week without fail. They're 200, right. almost 300 episodes. They must I've not been, have young children. They have children. Oh, my God. I, th- I don't think, I, Dom may not, but I know JD does. Yeah. Oh, I think Dom does, too. But I've been listening backwards from the newest episodes to the oldest and as of today, I was on 168. So starting at like almost 300, I'm at 168. Um, so they do the horror news, good and bad movie. And then they do their top five on a cer- certain topic. And then after that, they do honorable mentions that didn't make their top five. I suggested to them to do an episode on uncomfortable sex scenes in a movie <laughs> and uh, they actually did it gave me credit on the episode actually said my name nice and uh, they didn't say Mr. Cole they said Clint Cole or sometimes they refer to me as Clint C and um, these guys have saved my life because I will go home and <laughs> yeah, you, you, we, this has been covered turn before. on the fucking TV and search through Prime, can't find anything. Search through Netflix, can't find anything. And I finally settle on a movie and it's dog shit. Well, these guys are giving you four movies every week and they're like, look, here's a, these two are fucking garbage, these two are great. And so they really, they're taking a bullet for me (laughs) and they're providing such a great service for the first time ever to any podcast. I am a patron of this and I give money to this podcast. Yeah. And they do a really interesting thing for their patrons and uh, they nailed me on one episode. They they talked about from what time all their patrons were and I'll play it for you afterwards. It's going to blow you away how perfectly they nailed who I am. And then um, if I haven't said enough about post-mortem horror show podcast, don't get the other post-mortem from the TV show. That one's bullshit. There's a ghost song radio that Dom does, and it's he's into like Bigfoot, UFO, Ouija boards, and stuff. But it's very informative and very um, straightforward, no bullshit. And uh, he just gives you his opinion. And even like ghost hunting, the episode was really good. And you know, people think, oh, they're gonna go hunt a ghost. He's like, you're gonna waste a lot of time and be fucking bored a lot, you know, and hope. So when, when he when he's discussing UFO stuff, I don't know if I've heard the UFO episode okay. yet or if he's actually gotten there yet, but um, there's some pretty good ones. There's one about a guy who was um, involved in uh, figuring out jet fuel for rockets, and I'm fucking lame for not knowing the name, and he was like into the occult and like science and like was with friends with L. Ron Hubbard and, and knew Anton LaVey and shit, and it's a fucking weird story. And one day he just blew himself up. Truth. But uh, I'll forward you the link so you can listen to it. Okay. Sorry I don't have it here, um, but check out those four podcasts. Dang. So what else is new, man? You've been So you're getting lots of podcast listening time doing the running around that you have Yeah, to well, because I drive a lot. A pretty long drive, yeah. And um, my part of my job, I'm out of the store, so I just, a customer needs something, I jump on the truck and just go. Yeah. I was in Santa Rosa and Windsor like three times last week, and for, for you guys that don't realize where we are, you know, we're two hours away from any place you want to be, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been getting some time. And um, speaking about this Hatfield and McCoy whiskey... Uh, I want to talk about a town called Willits, California. Now, I know. What can ever be cool about the history of Willits, you know? We've talked some about Lake County, which is where we are, and the Clear Lake creature and all that. Um, But Willits is about an hour away from us. And then once you get to Willits, if you drive another hour, you're at the coast. So everyone thinks California is a huge beach. It's not. You know, we're two hours away from the beach, and to get there, and I was actually there last weekend, uh, you go through this uh, town, Willits, and uh, Willits was previously known as Little Lake, and then Willitsville. It's a little city in Mendocino County, California. The Frost and Coates family lived in Willits, and they had a real-life family feud. The Coates family supported the Union during the war, 
but the frost favored the South, and the two sides were very passionate about their beliefs. The California Confederates, that's crazy. Yeah, who, who would have thought that? How was that true? possible? Uh, on October 16th, 1867, Election Day, a fight turned into a full-on shootout in front of the Bachel's store, leaving four coats and one frost dead in the street. They had just full-on started shooting each other. Five dead people? Yeah, three others were wounded in the gunfire. That's, uh, that's on the scale of St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Or that's more dead than the OK Corral. Have you even heard, ever heard about that? And well, it's I've never heard that. Literally, that's that's a more more of a scale than the OK Corral. Insane. Probably not as good of a story, but yeah. Uh, in 1879, Elijah Frost, at age 29, was arrested with a long, along with two 19-year-old accomplices for petty larceny. They were accused of stealing a harness and saddle. For years, the three hooligans were known to drink heavily, recklessly discharge firearms, steal, and most notably, they were known to rob smokehouses. I could respect two out of the four. Yeah, I guess I don't really know what a smokehouse is. It's where you, it's just like a little building that you smoke your meat in. So, oh, you know, so they're stealing meat? Yeah, 1800s, you don't have refrigeration and stuff, so they're out so getting... So it's a preservative thing, I see. Th th these are some guys that just love them a good sausage party. <laughs> Once they were shackled, since there wasn't any jail, they were taken to Brown's Little Lake Hotel, well, they were, where they were to await the circuit court judge. Early the next morning, a meeting was held at the Willits Masonic Temple. Get ready for this, it's going to blow you away. They decided that they had had enough mischief from these three men. So, 30 Masons put on masks, and the regulators took the prisoners from the guards. What are the regulators? The, the masked Masonic okay. members. So they, this is vigilante yeah. justice at this point. They took the three men to a bridge north of town, they put a, a noose around each man's neck, filled their pockets with rocks, and pushed them off the bridge. Dang, mob lynching. Yeah, and their feet were allowed to dangle in the water. And listen to this. This is a symbolic, of, this is a symbol, symbolic thing in a Masonic hanging. Oh, interesting. They were left hanging for 24 hours to serve as a warning to other criminals. So they, so they drowned? No, no, they, they hung them, they got the rope just right, so when they hung, their feet, just their feet were so the water. So this is a mock thing, okay. And I don't, I, I tried to look it up to find out about Masonic hangings and oh. stuff. There's, not, there's nothing. They're known for their secrecy. Yes. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is what they're all about, right? So what it means, I don't know, does it have something to do with David or Solomon, probably? I'll, I'll ask Bob, he's all about the previous. <laughs> yeah, ask him, because it would be... And there's one other interesting fact about Willits. Seabiscuit trained, retired, recuperated, and finally lived out his retirement in Willits. He's a built, buried a few miles south of Willits. So, uh, a famous horse. What's in fucking Willits? <laughs> nice. So, uh, interesting, I thought. Yeah. Some hardcore... Uh, History for one of our little local towns up here for sure. in North California. The Coats and the what? The Coats and Frost. Frost was the one family in Coats was the other. Does it say what line of business they're in or anything like that? First of all, where'd you hear this story? My dad, just out of the blue one day, told me, hey, you know that there was like a shooting and a hanging in Willits? I'm like, no. So I went online and found all that stuff. Dang. Or he sent me the some article about it or something. That's quite... I don't know, I've been, I've been sitting on this episode for like eight months. A gunfight in the streets that leaves five dead is... That's no joke. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I know we kind of... Kind of talked about a medical serial killer. 
which uh, I got another one for you. Yeah, you always do. <clears throat> this dude was called, and you know they always have a nickname, but this guy has a pretty standard medical serial killer nickname. He, he's another angel of death. Okay. So, okay, it all just came back to me. So this guy's name was Robert Diaz. He believed that he was an Egyptian mystic and that he was a member of royalty in a past life. According to his wife, he spent time staring at his cat in an effort to control it with his mind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, dude, get out. There's, there's warning signs here everywhere. Diaz was able to predict deaths and seizures in patients based on their aura. He would even tell other nurses to take their breaks early in anticipation of a foreseen seizure. Authorities received an anonymous call in April 1981 that there was a problem at the Paris Community Hospital. They were experiencing an unusually large number of deaths. 19 people died in a 12-day period. Diaz was the nurse on duty when the deaths occurred. He predicted, he predicted the time of the death for these patients almost exactly. He was arrested in November 1981. The bodies of the deceased were exhumed and it was found that they had lethal doses of lidocaine in their systems. What's lidocaine do? Lidocaine is a numbing agent. It, um, we've, we use lidocaine to locally numb things. So if you've ever had stitches, it's very likely that they would inject lidocaine where they're going to stitch you. Oh. If you've ever had an abscess drained, they'll inject lidocaine. So it's an injectable uh, anesthetic that works at the local level. Um, so that's probably what they injected me with before they cut that abscess open. That's probably what they did. Sometimes they have epinephrine which helps control the bleeding, but then lidocaine also uh, can be given systemically into your bloodstream and it has a completely different effect there. So that's probably what happened. There's probably an IV injection of lidocaine because <coughs> it, uh, it has cardiovascular effects in that. Yeah, so this asshole goes in injects their IV and says, I predict this dude shall die. Yeah. God. It could occur. And lidocaine is not a controlled substance in any way. Um, I'm not in any way accountable for the lidocaine that I remove from the bedroom. Wow. When I'm done, I throw it away. But if I didn't throw it away, nobody would ever know. Jesus. Because it, it's, not, uh, it's not a um, recreational, abusable medicine. You can't get high off of it. Oh, it's no fun. It's 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 more um, it's more like what uh, like Lynette would inject in your gums to okay. fix a cavity than it is like anything else. Yeah. So in nineteen eighty four, he was sentenced to death by the gas chamber or lethal injection. Injection. Yeah. On August eleventh, two thousand ten, he died of natural causes in custody. <clears throat> But yeah, they called him the angel of death because he was able to predict, not because he... So he was causing it. ...was carrying out medical uh, experiments on twins and people with other colored eyes like Mengele. Sure. So I have a story. Yeah, I lay it down. This is... I have to be really careful how I tell this because... Um, I have to maintain the anonymity of the innocent here. So I have, <clears throat> so over the course of work, um, in emergency we get people who have mental illness who are on a psych hold in the emergency department. So that means that the, the county mental health official has avowed them and found them to be a danger to themselves or to others or um, unable to make safe decisions for themselves and so they hold them in emergency and we're just there to keep them safe until they can transfer to a facility that has what psychiatry and um, a mental health facility that has what they need, okay? So this is part of being an ER nurse is you have psych patients, but they're not getting help. You're just keeping them safe until they can get transferred to where 
they have the ability to help them. There's no psychiatrist at our hospital. When they're in emergency, I'm just a goalie. Oh, wow. Right? So, so you're in emergency still? Yeah. I thought that changed for some reason. No, I'm, I'd probably just be working in emergency in 20 years. I'll be sitting in the same chair I'm sitting in now. Um, at any rate, when you are dealing with someone who's acutely psychotic, it usually means they stop taking their medicine or they're having amphetamines or any combination of those things. So we get this young woman who is obviously hallucinating, but she, according to at least what her, her parents told me, she's convinced she is possessed by demons. Hmm. And she proceeds to act out a very Hollywood um, style depiction of demon possession. The way that Hollywood would put in a movie like The Exorcist or something like that. Like we've seen a million times. Like we've seen a million times. But does it really well. She wasn't quite speaking to me in Aramaic, uh -huh. but the physical feats of you know, she's young and fit and on and on amphetamines and a bunch of drugs. So you can do things physically that when you're in your twenties on drugs that I can't do. Yeah. But she was able to arch herself from her feet all the way, arch all the way up off the bed so her ass is two feet in the air with her head on the other side and hold that for minutes. Jesus. I tried it, I couldn't hold it for even a few seconds. Yeah, I've got nothing. I don't think I can even get there. So extraordinary <clears throat> feats of physical strength and I was super impressed and then there was something that kind of crossed the line for me. And so I, I don't mind saying that, that I'm a Christian and that I believe these things are possible, okay? Yeah. I don't mind that the world knows that, although that would, um, that would make me the ridicule of my coworkers. But none of them listen, so it's okay. Fuck those guys. Possession terrifies me, dude. So I actually, for a minute there, well, I'll tell the story. It's a good story, and it's all true. I'm not making any of this up, and the only other person who knows this right now is Laura. But it's been it's been it's been months now, and, and I'm I'm more comfortable talking about it. So at any rate, over, gosh, I have to be so delicate with how I put this. Um, one thing happened. Can I tell this story? I better not. If there's any question, I better not tell it. Let's just say that it felt as though I was being manipulated. Um, it. It felt as though a demon had possessed a young woman and was causing her to behave in a sexually provocative way that was an effort to get inside my head. Okay? Yeah. And um, let's just say that I was trying really hard to be professional and not notice that this was a beautiful young woman. And... I, in a moment of temptation, I did happen to notice, and in that moment, uh, she started laughing hysterically right at that moment, as if, like, my thoughts were being read or understood. So did you get, like, an unbelievable chill? I, didn't, like I didn't put it together at the, in the exact moment, so I was working with Debbie, who is, uh, well, you know Debbie. Um, she worked at Lynette's office. Okay. She's a retired paramedic. She works in emergency with me. So Debbie's a good friend of mine. So she and I are working together, and it, it, the, the, this person has a mask on, and so I think she's crying. And so I'm like, Debbie, or I said, I said, you know, tell me what's going on. Like, talk to me, because there had been no communication, you know, nothing for a whole day. Yeah. And seems like she's crying and Debbie says is she laughing and so I I took her mask off and she was grinning ear to ear laughing and that's was, that's scary as hell dude. And it was basically right after well I already said what it was right after it's uncomfortable to talk about so at any rate uh, I, I, 
I, I was uncomfortable with it and a little bit weirded out for the rest of the day. But then when I got home that night, that's when things got really weird. So this was a night that we had, um, it was like a rainy, stormy night. And I heard basically what sounded like a funny voice. I'm just sitting in my easy chair. The kids had just gone to bed. Um, I believe, I believe I was reading, but I was in a pretty quiet room. There was no, no noise except a little bit of wind outside. The fireplace was crackling away. And you can picture my front living room. Sure. I thought I heard, so my, my door that faces the street is like right over my left shoulder and I could have sworn I heard a voice out there. Oh, fuck. So I actually got up and opened the door, went outside and looked around. There was nothing there. It was windy. So if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. Then it's the wind, right? So I go back in and right as I come back in, Ruby, who's supposed to be asleep above me, says, starts calling down that the cat is acting weird and attacking her. So she asked, so she's like, can I come sleep, can I come sleep downstairs? I said, just go get in bed with mom. Like, don't, I don't know, whatever, just go sleep with mom. So Ruby goes to sleep with mom, with Laura, and then Leo has figured out he's up there alone and now he's afraid. Of course. So he's like, I, gotta, I don't wanna be up here by myself. So I'm like, okay, so I go crawl in bed with Leo and I'm just cuddling with him trying, until he falls asleep. And I start observing the cat and the cat is acting all kinds of fucking weird. What the fuck? The cat is growling. I mean, it's like pet fucking cemetery. The cat's growling. I didn't know you had an indoor cat. We have an indoor cat. We have mice, so we got a cat, and now okay. we don't have mice. But this cat is like, sleeps with Ruby in the bed every night. He's the sweetest cat ever. And he is growling at apparently nothing. He's under Ruby's bed, just like growling and angry. And what she mentioned that he was attacking her, he apparent to me really quickly that he was acting really weird. Yeah. And it all happened a second after I saw, heard this weird voice. And a few hours after I was interacting with something that either was a demon possession or was someone who was putting on the most convincing act of a demon possession I've ever seen. Fuck. So I'm like, did a demon follow me home from work? Get inside my... Like, what the fuck is going on? Dude, I have it on my list for us to discuss um, otherworldly experiences that we've had. And I have, like, three, and I know you've had some other ones and we've talked about and, like... You just did it without me, like, bringing it up. And it was, I'm not done. And it's, this is the fucking craziest story, dude. So. I'm uncomfortable from it. I would be fucking shitting my pants. Right. So, so, Leo, so I sleep with him. I actually dozed off with him. And I sleep with him for uh, several hours. And he is in a, we, this is me and my three-year-old in a twin bed. And I am big enough that that is uncomfortable for me because I, I can't even roll over. Right. Skinny ass little twin bit. And so finally I wake up and I'm like, this is uncomfortable. So I go to Ruby's bed. Now Ruby's room and Leo's room are across the hall. There are no doors on their rooms. You've been, you painted Leo's room. Yeah. Um, and so I go lay down in Ruby's bed and I'm like, well, if he gets scared on here, I'm up here with him. No big deal. And the cat starts hissing at me. The cat gets up on the bed and starts growling at me from me to you away. What the fuck? And hissing at me. It's like super unnerving. I mean, I'm in like a, I mean, there's like a room with a nightlight and there's a cat on the bed that's acting like pet fucking cemetery hissing at me. The only cat I've ever had hiss at me was a feral cat that a human this cat was touch. acting feral and this is my cat. He cuddles on my lap every night. Is back to cuddling on my lap. Insanity. So I I'm like I tell him fuck you and I whack him off the bed. <laughs> because I'm thinking maybe he's just being territorial about that he thinks it's his bed. That's what Ruby thought. Ruby's like he's he's territorial. He thinks this bed is his my house. Fuck you, cat. Cat comes back. I start to doze. Cat comes back and gets right up so that it's like right in my face and then wakes me up growling again and kind of like hitting me. And it's like too close for comfort. What the fuck? So 
I throw the cat off the bed again and do it with like some force, like, no, you fuck off. Like, I am like the <laughs> alpha male. You are like a 12 pound cat and you can fuck right off. Okay. And Leo, and then I'm like, I can't leave my three year old up here with this cat and get hurt. Yeah, what do you, what the fuck? Someone lose an eye. This cat's obviously there's something wrong. I'm starting to think to myself, is this cat demon possessed? Like, what the fuck? This cat was fine. Laura and Ru- so Laura told me later she they were petting and snuggling with the cat as she was putting Ruby to bed. This was sudden onset after I heard voices and after I had been interacting with someone who was really doing a convincing job convincing that they were demon possessed. Dude. And so I'm laying there staring at the ceiling wondering what the fuck is going on and the power goes out. <laughs> Click completely black upstairs. I have just my cell phone. And I can't even, like, it wasn't. Remember when we were expecting power outages, the candles would be, like, strategically placed? Yeah, you're and not. We have nothing. It's just a storm power outage. So I finally I picked Leo up just with my flashlight, put him on my shoulders, went downstairs. Put everyone in the bed with Laura, lit candles, trapped the cat upstairs. Because at this point, I'm afraid of the cat. Yeah, fuck that cat. And the next morning, Laura woke up early and over coffee, I told her the whole story. And I hadn't told her about the girl at the hospital yet. I hadn't told her about That's so fucking scary, dude. But I just laid it all out. I'm like, look, I'm freaked out. This is what happened. And I'm like, so come look at this cat with me. So we go upstairs and the cat is curled up in its litter box, just facing out, just like growling. Fuck. And so... All ominous as fuck. Yeah. And so there's obviously... Some, so we read if they go in their litter box, it just means they can be stressed out, or it means they can be in pain or constipated, or who the fuck knows. But we decided to just give the cat a day and keep the kids downstairs and see what happened. And then by that night, the cat was normal again. And our life has been normal since then. And this has been many weeks. Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That's the craziest fucking thing. <laughs> so the, that, that, that happened. I can never do your job, dude. Because you just don't know what's going to walk through the door. <clears throat> and and if, they're, if like my patient is someone who thinks they're possessed, I'm fucking freaked out already. It, you know... <clears throat> That shit scares the fuck out of me. It reminds me, one of the movies recommended by those guys is Song of Solomon. You've never heard of it. It's a book of the Bible, but I've never heard of the movie. It's an a American guinea pig movie, I believe, and the most hardcore possession movie. Like, Exorcist is fucking scary, right? <clears throat> this is Exorcist to the fucking 10th level, dude. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. And uh, I'll even go ahead and ruin a part. There's a certain part where the possessed person graphically vomits up all her internal organs. Mm -hmm. And it's like harsh and painful. And it's like 10 minutes. Hmm. And and I'm like fighting to not throw up. There's only two movies that have ever made me throw up. One of them was my own. And the first time we watched it, I barely, I didn't make it to the bathroom. It sprayed out on the wall. And the other one is a, a film called Bad Taste, which horror film, when they, the dude, like, eats the bowl of puke, it just, I couldn't <laughs> take it. They're all eating a communal bowl of puke that people have just puked up. Yeah, that sounds gross. And they hold them into the bowl, like, doing a keg stand. That's obviously, that's how you do it. And the one dude, like, does it, and he's all... Like, he's trying to pretend like he's one of the aliens, but he's a normal dude, and he, so he has to go along with it. And so he does it, and afterwards he's like, huh, huh, that's not bad. He, like, likes it. But anyways, her vomiting the organs aren't the worst thing about the film. Then she goes, oh, I'm going to need those later. So she eats them back down in an equally painful, long shot it's like 10 more minutes of them going back down and like i'm sitting there with a glass of whiskey in my hand as one does and my mouth hanging open trying not to puke oh my god how do i not know about this fucking movie 
I should know about this. This is why that podcast is so important to me. <laughs> it's definitely your genre. But anyways, we also we covered um, interesting local history. We covered a medical serial killer. And uh, <clears throat> what else do we like to do? We like to talk about interesting subjects in history. And I got one here for you. I don't know. Are, are you ready for this, dude? Hit me. Eugenics. Yeah, I'm against it. Yeah. But in researching this, I was fucking blown away. They don't teach you this in school, and they don't teach you who was involved. What era? What year are we talking about? Um, This goes over many years. Yeah. So eugenics is the belief and practice of improving genetic quality of human population. This is evil shit. Yeah. Nazis learned it from the early 20th century American progressives. Exactly. They, <coughs> you know, they learned it from us. They did. Many te- techniques of achieving this are considered to be inhuman, inhumane and were surprisingly implemented in the U.S. Many groups targeted were the disabled, poor, people of color, and mentally ill. Yep. Many Native Americans, Hispanic, and African American women were sterilized. Sure. The word eugenics was first coined in 1883. It was believed that to preserve and improve the well-born, selective breeding needed to be implemented. Early eugenicists believed in strict immigration laws and forcible sterilization of the poor, disabled, and the immoral. Who's the immoral? How do you make that decision? Prostitutes. Oh. Yeah. Alcoholics. You, you could find a modern um, a modern person who would say, if you are on welfare, you should have mandatory Norplant so that uh, you can't can make more babies. Th- that would be like... you got to make more babies. That's how you get the big check. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. The movement was funded by the Carnegie Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and the Harriman Railroad Fortune, mm-hmm. the Race Betterment Foundation, mm-hmm. and the Eugenics Record Foundation were founded in 1906. So mm-hmm. that doesn't even feel like as long as it should have been ago, you know? Early 20th century. That's the height of the progressive era of the early 20th century. And the Nazis sort of really laid bare how evil all this was, but this was not con- like this wasn't even controversial at the time. This was just like part of the culture. Workers evaluated people in metal hospitals and orphanage institutes all over the U.S. It suggested solutions for the unfit included immigrants, immigration restrictions, sterilization, and uh, even extermination. The American Breeders Association expanded in 1906 to include a eugenics committee. The committee sought to emphasize the value of superior blood and the menace of inferior blood. Alexander Graham Bell, Stanford President David Starr Jordan, and Luther Burbank were all members. That seems insane to me. People were into it back then. Many feminist organizations promoted eugenics legal reform one of the most notable feminists was can you guess Margaret Sanger yes she was the leader of the birth control movement and founder of Planned Parenthood are we talking are we just talking about another medical serial killer here <laughs> in reality I think we are she thought saw birth control as a way to prevent unwanted children from being born to a disadvantaged life she used the language of eugenics in her movement. She approved sterilization of individuals that had mental disease and physical defects. Oh. Indiana was the first state to make sterilization legal in 1907. Washington, Connecticut, and California followed suit in 1909. Sterilation, sterilization rates were pretty low, except for in California. You know, we, we always do it best in California. In 1911, 
The Carnegie Institute had a report that suggested 18 methods for removing genetic defects. Number eight was euthanasia. Local gas chamber, local gas chambers was the most suggested idea, but it was widely agreed that Americans were not ready for a national multi-death corporation. So doctors came up with other ways to implement this idea, <clears throat> like an institution in Illinois that poisoned patients' milk with tuberculosis. That really happened? Yes. Wow. They believed that the physically fit would be able to resist. The result, this resulted in 30 to 40% annual death rates. Other doctors practiced different forms of lethal neglect. Right. The Euthanasia Society of America was founded in 1938, but euthanasia did not receive much support in the U.S. Forced segregation and sterilization programs were used to keep the unfit from reproducing. Between 1907 and 1963, 64,000 people were involuntarily sterilized in the U.S. 1963 doesn't feel that long ago to me. It's happening in China right now. Oh, China's, yeah. California conducted most of these, 20,000 of the 64,000. A book with a positive passion on forced euthanasia by Paul, I'm guessing Penelope, but I don't think so. This book was cited by the Nazi government as evidence that wide-range sterilization programs were feasible and humane. So yeah, the Nazis got the idea from us. After the eugenics program was well-established in America, it spread to Germany. California eugenicists sent literature promoting eugenics and sterilization overseas to German scientists and medical professionals. The Nazis forced sterilization program was partly inspired by California. The Rockefeller Foundation helped develop and fund various German eugenics programs, including the one implemented by Joseph Mengele in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. um, before I really looked into this, I was just looking into it because I knew about Margaret Sanger, of mm -hmm. course. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I had no idea. Great stuff. Shocking man. American history. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, it's, you said, you said 60,000 forced sterilizations. Was that California? 20,000 of those was California. 20,000. So California. most of them came from us. I would like to know what the details of the forced. Is it, is it happening because of a doctor's order or is it happening because of a court order? There, there was more like this. That little segment could have been hours. Right. Um, there's a lot of uh, Native Americans that they did that to, mm -hmm. and they would lie to them. They would tell them, "You need to sign this," mm -hmm. and then they wake up and they're sterilized, and they don't even know what they signed. Right. Fair enough. So it's not like it's a it's not a government process. This is probably just doctors doing this. It's like the state. If it was the state? Yeah, because it was certain states. Certain states where it was allowed. <clears throat> so like, so, so what you said was, you said it was like California, Washington, Connecticut yeah. were the first states to allow sterilization, but you didn't say forced sterilization. You just said sterilization. Uh, so sterilization is a vasectomy. That's, that's just a normal thing guys do. That's not a big deal, right? So... It becomes evil when you are tricking people. Yeah, the, the source material I was looking at went into detail about it. It was, it was blatant trickery. Trickery, right. And, um, but was there ever, I wonder if there was ever an instance where a judge in a courtroom said, you will undergo sterilization, I don't take him it, into custody. Oh, I just grabbed a gobbler, so I think Dude, I will yeah, go with I it. you want that. It's the one I want, too. You know, this Family Feud whiskey is pretty good, but you notice right away it's very light in color. Well, so it's, it's only a four-month day. It said it was four months. Oh, so it's just in the barrel for a shorter period of time. Yeah, so this is a straight bourbon, so it's at least two years. 
I'm gonna offend you and put diet soda in it. That doesn't do me. Okay. Because sometimes people are like, oh, this particular whiskey you have to drink neat, and I just can't. That's the thing about Wild Turkey 101. So it is, and, and, and the Whiskey Tribe guys talk about this, so. Um, oh, how'd you like that Whiskey Tribe shirt? Dude, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. I'm like, uh, Jamie didn't I should have worn it tonight. I, wow, fuck. Jamie didn't understand. I said, you don't understand. Dave's going to fucking love this better Dude, it was any tremendous. fucking gift. It was. It was really tremendous. So, so the... I'm drunk and the name escapes me. So the the guy that's short with the good beard, what's his name? Do you remember? Oh fuck, I don't know, dude. So he he made the case for like the Wild Turkey 101, where he basically said, you know, first of all, it's really inexpensive. You can get a fifth for how are we doing? We got to be an hour in. I'm just gonna. You get a fifth that. of Wild Turkey 101 for like 17 bucks to say. Oh, 55 minutes, so we're close. Yeah, this is good. This this will this wrap up. Alright, cool. So you get a, a fifth of Wild Turkey 101 for sub 20 bucks. So that makes it a really inexpensive whiskey, and that means it's completely acceptable to. And it's stronger than most whiskeys you drink. Right. That, but that means it's completely acceptable to mix it with soda if you want to. But also, it's a complex enough whiskey to enjoy neat and even like a whiskey connoisseur can appreciate it. It's a ton of value. And so those guys said if they could only have one whiskey to be a nightly drinker, you know, something that would be a daily drinker, not fancy, but just to come home from work, you're gonna have a whiskey, so it has to be inexpensive, what would your one whiskey be? And this was one of their contenders. Nice. If you could only have one for the rest of your life. I've got to get you on the Facebook group because people are posting Kung Fu every day and posting pictures of two whiskeys and they're like, what do you magnificent bastards think I should get? And You need to be in that group, dude. I know. I just never I never get on Facebook anymore. But I, I will. I'm going there for that. Maybe we can get that done tonight. <laughs> anyway. The one the wild turkey one on one is tremendous. I have never tried the wild turkey regularly. Well, that's not true. They I had like, it on Southwest flights. They I, used to bring it to me over an ice cube on a Southwest plane. Nice. I that like the rice. The wild turkey rice is good. Oh, and let me tell you this. Do you ever like Lynchburg lemonade? Mm-hmm. So I can make you one. I have um, this weight loss coffee, happy coffee shit I've been doing. Mm-hmm. They also have a happy lemonade. And all you do is you take a glass of ice, pour this powdered happy lemonade on it, pour your whiskey over, and then diet 7-Up, because I'm trying to watch the sugar because of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And dude, it is so good, and it does make you happy. I can tell you that. So, we are on the Patreon, so check out our Patreon. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. There's jack shit on there. There's no tears or anything. You can donate money to us there. Uh, we'll spend it on booze. 100% chance that we drink it if you don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, and even if you don't, we're going to be drinking whiskey on these things until we're done with ketosis and we start drinking beer again. Oh, and we relive that. Wait for March, too. Man, on Jamie's birthday, I had plenty of the elder in Fort Bragg. Oh. Dude, I gained eight pounds and in the one week of keto I lost the eight pounds. Yeah. Just took it right back off like it was nothing. Yeah. Um I have a YouTube channel. It's called um Mr. Cole's Homebrew where I make home beer and it's got all my old school bands that like this podcast are so underground the underground doesn't even know as the background music and the newest one actually has Dan Zig and Zig hasn't shut me down. So check that out. Uh, what else do we do? Oh, I got a knife shop here, downtown Castleville, 3855 Main Street. You can buy knives, you can buy fucking coin rings. Um, podcast, YouTube, Patreon. I like the barbecue. We bar, there's gonna be some food episodes. I, I've. I filmed the first one for Mr. Cole's Homebrew, and um, Dave and I are going to be doing more because I got a new barbecue, I got a deep fryer, and uh, I learned. I I almost think we need to start a barbecue pit boys chapter. Dude, we could. So I got. So I got. That's this is what I do on Saturday. I watch my knife channel in the morning, 
where the company I buy knives literally has a live YouTube channel that's 24 hours a day. So I sit there and drink coffee and watch knives. And I love it. And Sunday, Wyatt and I watch Barbecue Pit Boys. <clears throat> Even the ones we've seen. Um, dude, we got seconds. Anything else you got to say? Yes, I have one more quick story. And we're going to run over and... You want me to stop it so we have additional time? I don't care. Let's do that. Is it <clears throat> all right, all right. So we got some <clears throat> extra we're, space we're in, here. We're in extra your, innings, instant death overtime. So final thoughts here. So I am super excited. So um, I have, as a hobby, been getting into welding. Dude, cool. So that's kind of like what I, I do now if I have any extra time to get up to the shop and I'm trying to get better. So I've been trying to come up with projects so I can get some practice. And it turns out that um, because I'm into barbecue and I'm trying to get into welding to make a smoker is an obvious, obvious project. So what's it? I need you to make my Santa Maria grill. Santa Maria is, is definitely doable and we, and we can do that. And I probably even have a lot of the steel that we would use. I have the grills. I just need the, the frame that holds the grill and the whole thing cranks it up and down. We can do it. That's it. Yeah, that's. I the mean, slabs already poured in my backyard, waiting for me to build the brick around. Just it do some center center blocks and paint them or something. I think I'm gonna do red brick, like the the uh, antique red brick. Well, for your Santa Maria grill, draw it up. Yeah. So we can figure out what steel we need to go buy, and we'll go buy the steel. We'll use scrap whenever we can. Because the price of the steel adds up. Yeah. yeah. I'm always amazed at how much it is. And we'll make it. I'd, I'd love to. Cool. It'd be a fun project. But what what I wanted was to, because I'm more into, I want a big smoker I can do whole hog. Right. So you make, um, you can make one out of a propane tank. That's yes. a really common way to do it. Well, how do you get a propane tank? It's not as easy as you would think. I thought you could just go to Suburban Propane and get their old ones because they don't want to have to pay to throw them away anyways. So I've been trying to do that for about a year. I've called them and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And then the the manager there, he like won't call me back. I, I have an in. So do I. Shane's stepdad works for a propane company. Oh. Well, no, Suburban's going to do it. That's, that's where I'm going. They this. are going to do it. Well, so they're at least calling me back now. So, anyway, so then the other day Pete was out. He filled us up. I don't know if you guys know Pete from Server Propane. He's a good guy. I like him. And I said, I just, I don't, I'm not even asking for a free one. I'll pay the scrap value. I just want a couple of tanks. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. But then I didn't hear back because he gets busy and whatever. So, finally, I'm a loser. They fill my propane and I don't pay the bill. So, they call me. I get called from like their biller, oh, like a collection call. Oh shit. So I'm like, sure, let me give you my debit card. So I paid the bill and after I give her my debit card over the phone and we're hanging up, she's like, is there anything else I can help you with? And I'm like, actually there is. <laughs> and so I lay- Funny you should ask. It's funny you should ask. So I lay it all out and I, I really want some propane tanks that are that are retired because they were in the fires or something and I'm happy to pay for them and what would it take I, like I'm, I'll pay for the steel I will pay Pete to deliver it to my house with his boom truck like, what, like whatever I just I said I want propane tanks and they it's hard to get a propane tank if you're not a propane company and she's like let me see if I can get my manager Laura to call you back well this this manager Laura does call me back hmm. and she's like it's gonna take us like two weeks but we have tanks that you can have and if you come here we'll get we'll load them into the back of your truck for you perfect so anyway that, I'm one weekend I, I hope any day to hear from her and to be able to go pick up a, they're gonna give me a 250 gallon they don't even want money for it they're gonna give me a 250 gallon tank with the valves removed and they're gonna give me like another smaller tank to make the offset. Oh my god. The firebox, basically. Nice. And then all we have to do is cut and weld them and and so anyway, we're gonna have we're gonna have a big ass 250 get you know. That's a propane tank as wide as this room. Dude, you need to make an outdoor kitchen 
somewhere okay. on your property where just that goes. That's the plan. That's what we're doing. We'll pour a slab and build the fucking awning and shit over it. Or we can just go out there and... Because what we're cooking on that is going to be all day long. Mm-hmm. And we can go vast numbers of people, too. Oh, dude, I, you didn't even know. I did a brisket not too long ago. Oh, yeah? I, I fucking watched Barbecue Pit Boys and a fucking other couple websites on how to do one on a Weber. And me and Wyatt just did it. We spent all day and did it. And uh, Safeway actually had some pretty nice briskets. Nice. And um, Whole brisket or just the flat or what? Whole. With like the tip and the flat. 13, 14 pounds or? It was, I think it was 16 pounds. 16? It was like 40 bucks, 45 bucks. It was cheap. That is cheap. Um, and I, I want to say we ate almost the whole thing. Like there was not much left with the five of us, you know? Right. Um, so I think on my birthday, I think I'm going to do another one, but like more of like a teriyaki and pineapple marinade. And I make, uh, like an Asian style coleslaw where it's just like really fine shredded carrots and cucumber with seasoned rice vinegar and the sesame oil, maybe a little tahini, because mm-hmm. Jamie doesn't really do, like cabbage is hard on her, so regular coleslaw doesn't work, but if I make like an Asian style, so we put that on a hoagie roll, dude, and make some uh, fireball overnight marinated pineapple rounds, <laughs> sprinkle them with cinnamon sugar and put them on the grill, it'll be bomb, dude. That would be really good. Yeah, the meat with the fruit and the and the cabbage on a sandwich is really nice. Well, I added what I wanted to add. Nice. Uh, Did we achieve episode 14? Episode 14 in the fucking... Cheers. Archive or whatever. Alright. Well, what's our toast? You have it. Here's to fighting, drinking, and stealing. If you fight, will you fight for a friend? If you steal, you steal a lover's heart. And if you drink, you should drink with us. What about if you rape? I don't recommend that. Oh, don't rape. Sounds unkind. Rape is bad. Rape is bad. Cheers, motherfuckers.